1 John chapter 2. I've got this chair back here, and I'm going to scoot it up just in case, just in case I need that. I don't feel as strong as I did last week, but we'll see what happens. Okay. Um, if you recall, last week, in, in opening John's letter here, he, uh, of course, and he's apparently writing to several groups of people uh, it could be just one. I don't know. Um, he doesn't tell us. But he describes for us what it means to be, and these are all believers, by the way. Like I said, he's, he's writing to a group of Christians. So in this, in this passage, he, he even speaks of that. He says uh, in verse 1, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which uh, we have seen with our eyes, and we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Well, I mean, tell you, that was some kind of a personal experience that the dis disciples had with the Lord Jesus and actually seeing him, I mean, day after day for three and a half years and being able to physically touch him and to know that he was the Son of God, as John makes explicitly clear here in this letter. But he goes on to say, the life which was, uh, was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life. That is, the life that you can enjoy and be blessed with in the coming age. We live in a, in a different age right now, and there's another age coming following this one that the Scriptures over and over and over admonish us to prepare for, to get ready for. And that's what John's doing here. He's in, in, encouraging them to be ready for this this eternal life, this life that will be beyond anything you and I can imagine, even in this present life, and even anything we can dream of in the life to come. It's going to far surpass that. So that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too, may have fellowship with us. And we focused on that word fellowship. And if you're out of fellowship, what to do? And that is simply this, confess your sins. So he's talking about us here. If we're out of fellowship, then the way to maintain it is simply confess your sins, make them right before the Lord, and then you can enjoy the fellowship that the whole congregation, the whole assembly, the whole body of Christ can enjoy. But if you're out of sorts, of course, then it's not possible because you're out of sorts with the Lord and with your fellow Christians right here, your fellow brothers. Well, following that in chapter 2 and verse 7, he proceeds to move us on to another step, another level 
of Christian maturity, of Christian walk. And that is, he says, to know him. It's one thing for us to be in fellowship with the Lord and in fellowship with one another here. But it's another step, another thing also to, to know him. And how do we know him? How do we get to know God? It is by experience. It is by walking with him, trusting him, believing him for whatever life needs that you're called upon to go through. It simply means to trust him in everything. And if you continue to walk in faithfulness with him, you will grow in your knowledge of him. And it's, it's a journey, as we've often said. Uh, it doesn't just take place automatically. It requires that you and I take the initial step that we stay faithful. I like the, what, uh, the, uh, the word that Jerry brought out this morning in uh, Exodus, where Moses was holding up his hands, and it says there that he was steady, but the word means faithfulness. And so you, you stop and think about it. What if Moses would have just dropped his hands and said, man, I am, I am aching. My arms are killing me. How many of you ever done that, tried to hold your arms out like that? I remember we had a, I think it was in the army, we had a five-pound lead weight. We were supposed to hold it out here like this. And I mean, oh, your shoulders would be killing you and you'd be shaking like this and finally your arms would drop because you just couldn't do it anymore. Now you can imagine what would have happened to Joshua and the people of Israel if Moses would have just quit and said, I can't do this anymore. But it doesn't say that. It says he was faithful. And he had assistance in helping hold his hands up so that he could endure through the battle that Joshua and the people of Israel were going through. So this idea of being faithful in the midst of all that we're going through in life will enable us to know God, to know him on an intimate level, more than just getting on your knees and praying and saying, thank you, Lord, for saving me and then praying for all the friends and all the people you know on the prayer list. No, it goes so much beyond that. When you enter into prayer, to meditate on the Lord and to set your focus upon him and enjoy his presence with you, and you seek his presence uh, with yourself. Well, we ended at verse 11, and... Um, you know, one, one of the things that John focused on was the matter of keeping his commandments. That was the way that we get to know him. And we looked at that passage back in, um, I think it was in John's gospel, where Jesus told the disciples, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Well, I'll tell you, I see love expressed in this congregation more than any place I've ever been. And what a joy it is that God brought me here to be a part of that and to participate, because I love every one of you. 
uh, more than you can possibly imagine. Even you, Boone. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So keeping his commandments involves loving one another. Well, and this, then he, and he goes on to tell us concerning what this love means. That if we don't love our brother, you know, then, then we can't know God. It demands, requires that we love our brother. And of course, he is speaking, focused here specifically on the local congregation, the local assembly of believers, when they come together, that they love one another. Well, if you move on in chapter 2, 1 John, he goes on to write this um, kind of an enigmatic statement here regarding uh, children and fathers and young men and so on. So let's read it, and we'll, we'll not spend a lot of time on it. Now, the reason why is because it gets complicated real quick when you start looking at the passage uh, and all the Greek words and so on. But he says here, I am writing, to, and notice, well, first of all, notice in verse 12, he says, I am writing. Verse 13, I am writing. I am writing. I write to you. And then he switches to I write to you or I have written to you because it's past tense. I have written to you. I have written to you. I write to you. I'm writing to you little children. That's our familiar word, technion. And, uh, he says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Now, it seems here that he's in making little children in, you know, to it inclusive, everybody, because we've all had our sins forgiven for his name's sake. That happened when we trusted Christ as our Savior. It was a one-time deal, and it's over with. It's sins that follow that that we need to confess and wrongs that we have committed. Verse 13, I am writing to you fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And notice, with fathers, he says, you know him. The word fathers here seems to be appealing to those in the assembly who are the spiritually mature ones. Those who have progressed in their knowledge of Christ and their faith. And then he says, I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one, the young men. So there's those who are novices. They've just trusted Christ as their Savior. There are those who are in progress, like the young men, of growing. And then there are those who have achieved um, the status of fathers. They have become spiritually mature. So he reverses it then in verse 14. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. There it is again. Focused on that word know. And that's only to the fathers. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. 
You know, you notice he left out little children. He didn't need to because, as we said, that was inclusive. That was everybody was, a, was amongst this intimate uh, inclusion of calling them little children. So in this group of believers, there are all sorts of those who are in various degrees or levels of spiritual growth or spiritual experience. But the goal then is to become like the fathers. It's for all of us, in other words, to become spiritually mature. In verse 15, he begins to de- give us details about what this encompasses and how we can do this. And he gets a little more specific about what it means to walk in this world. Because he says in verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. So when he says do not love the world, that's just a blanket statement. Don't love the world. That's our calling for you and I. Just across the board, nobody's excluded. Don't love the world. But then there comes this little statement, or the things in the world. Well, that's an he's implying here that we can fall from our status of not loving the things of the world to loving certain things that are in the world. And if we love the world, he says, if anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. And that's a blanket statement as well. It's all inclusive, encompassing. If you you love the world, then the love of the Father is not in you. So we're talking about the cosmos. We're talking about the world's system and its way of, of, what do you want to say, exalting mankind through the growth of civilization over the centuries to what you and I see today in the cities and major countries around the world and how they have grown. And, and, and when you just stop and meditate on that, think about that for a little bit. And it is very easy for me to see how they are going to rise up in rebellion against the Lord's Messiah because they won't want to give it up. They believe that this world is theirs and they own it. As a matter of fact, nowadays you have these wealthy people freezing their bodies, hoping that in the future when peace comes, that they'll be able to be sort of, in a way or manner, resurrected, brought back to life. Because they're wealthy and they know what they can control. And there, it's like it's like in the Wizard of Oz, you know, they're behind the curtain pulling the strings, trying to shape the world and its growth. And John is just warning us against that. Don't get involved with that. 
Stay away from it. For all that is in the world, and here we go, this is what's in the world. It's the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. All of these things we can succumb to and give in to. So a good, honest question to ask yourself is, what is it out there? When I leave church here, it's one thing. But when I leave here and I go out into the world, I go to my job, I go to the marketplace, I go to school, I go you know, wherever, what is it that I see out there that is appealing to my eyes? What grabs my attention? Because that's the thing that will lead you astray. And John is just saying, stay away from it. It will destroy your soul. Our goal is to experience the saving of the soul. And the saving of the soul has to do with the saving of our life so that we might enter into Christ's kingdom and enter it with joy and gladness. To know that there's going to be a welcoming committee beyond anything you can imagine, any parade you've ever seen, it's going to far exceed that. And so he tells us then, one of the reasons you don't want to do that, the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And of course, we know, I hope you know the word forever there, abides to the age, that is, to the life of the age to come, to the messianic life, the life that we will experience when Messiah comes to rule the world. And it demands, for, on your part and mine, a life of righteousness. Because, you know, the, the, the kingdom of God is characterized primarily, the scriptures tell us two things, righteousness and peace. And if you can imagine those two things more than anything else, what, what comfort that should bring to your soul to know that there is going to be righteousness, justice, Everything will be done right in, in the kingdom of God. The Lord Jesus will rule with a righteous hand and a rod of iron. A rod of iron just means there will be no favoritism of any kind. It will all be done justly and righteously, evenly, across the board for each and every person. But that should, that should bring joy and gladness to your heart. For if you live righteously here, then you can expect it in his kingdom. And then if you are ex experiencing that righteousness and knowing it, then there's peace. And of course, there will be peace not just in me personally, but, but in the world at large. And the Lord will see to it that he had, as he administers that. And then he goes on to this extensive passage about these antichrists. Children, he says, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, 
that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. That is to say, of course, anti, meaning very simply against, many have come that are against Christ and want nothing to do with him. I know for you and I, when I meditate on this, I just, I can't imagine why. Why would you be against Christ? But it's because of man's pride of life that John just spoke of. And verse, or he goes on to continue that verse, therefore we know that it is the last hour. And notice in verse 19, this congregation here, he says, they went out from us. At one point, these antichrists who are seeking to infiltrate this assembly, this group of people, were a part of them, but they, they left. If, you know, and it's a common thing. Turn back to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. And you remember the incident here with Acts 15 and the council at Jerusalem and the situation that was going on because there were antichrists here. These were Jews who were seeking to turn away the disciples or telling them that they must keep the law. And I'm thinking evidently they were believers at one point also. When I say believers at one point, that is, they did not hold to this idea that they needed to hold to the Jewish customs and so on. And so if you look over at verse uh, 24, in verse 20, 23, it says they wrote uh, the following letter the brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you. They were, at one point, members of this fellowship of believers. And then something drew them away. And in this case, Jewish customs had drawn them away to the keeping of the law. And they wrote a letter saying, no, no, this, this, is, this is for the Gentiles. And they do not need to observe Jewish laws and customs. Chapter 16, I'm sorry, chapter 20. And you might remember again in Acts chapter 20, this is where Paul was meeting it with the, uh, the elders at Ephesus. And they knew that they were not going to ever see him anymore. And there was a lot of hugging and crying going on there uh, and so on. Well, if you look in verse, um, well, let's see if I can find it. Uh, right here, verse 29 he says, I know that after my departure, 
fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, our, uh, your own selves, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Genuine believing disciples who were susceptible to being drawn away and taken in by these fierce wolves, Paul calls them, who want to teach them false doctrine. And then if you look over at Galatians, turn to the book of Galatians, And I forget what chapter here. Chapter 2 and verse 4. Galatians chapter 2, verse 4. And you might, again, remember what's going on here in Galatians. That the same thing, same things going on. You know, those who are wanting to uh, require that Jewish customs were kept, Jewish laws. And Paul's arguing against that whole idea. And in verse 4, if I can find it here, he says, yet because of false brothers, he calls them, false brothers secretly brought in. Now, you know, they're brothers, but they're false ones. In other words, they're not true to the faith. They have departed from the doctrine that John says, you heard from the beginning. Yet because of these false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. To draw away, again, disciples out of the local assembly, the believing assembly, and the way they were wanting to turn them away. So that's what these antichrists here uh, are about in this passage here. But, but he says, oh. mm. he says they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. All right, again, so we see that they were genuine believers. They would have continued with us, but they didn't. They weren't of them because they were holding to doctrines that was outside or beyond the, the, the realm of what they had heard from the disciples. And so he goes on to tell them then that it might become plain that not all are not of us, but you, he says, that is you who have remained faithful in this local assembly, you, he says, have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. He doesn't mean they have exhaustive knowledge. He's saying that you all have knowledge because of what this anointing that you have experienced. And again, scholars debate over exactly what John means here. I would say most likely the Holy Spirit, because Jesus promised them the Holy Spirit. Back in John chapter 14, let's just turn back and take a gander at that. 
Hope you like that word, gander. <laughs> okay, John chapter 14 and verse 24. I can find that again now myself. Well, I think it was verse 14. No, it's not. I'm sorry, I can't read my own writing. 14 and 25 do look a little bit alike, okay? <laughs> so, sorry about that. Uh, verse 25. He says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, notice the phrase, He will teach you all things. Knowledge. That's the kind of thing he's talking about. The kind of things that you need as a Christian to sustain you through the, the, the trials of life and the tribulations so that you might come out faithful on the other side and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And of course, the disciples were faithful to continue teaching the Lord's doctrine. And even Paul tells us that they, were, they, they, they taught the Lord's doctrine. You know, it's, it's so funny. When, I say funny. When you, when you pick up a lot of books to read and books by scholars and so on about uh, what's popular today, you know that most of it's all about the Apostle Paul. <laughs> and what Paul means in his letters and so on. And yet, that's not where we get our main teaching as a Christian. We get it from Jesus. Go back to his Gospels. Read what he said. It's not, it's not all about Paul. Now, Paul has a lot to say, and believe me, valuable things. I'm not discounting that at all. But they seem to elevate Paul above everything else. You know, I, mean, I don't even hardly pick up any books on the general epistles. It's all about Paul. Paul this, and the new, what do they call it? The new, um, I can't think of it. There's a popular thing going around. that, that I, I want to say new thought, but I don't think that's quite right. But anyway, I mean, just it's just, you know, why not just go back and see what Jesus said? That's where we get our instructions for what he wants us to do and to be. Well, he goes on to tell us then, I'm going to skip a couple verses here, down to verse 24. He says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. You know, John sat under the feet of Jesus for three and a half words, uh, words three and a half years. That had been some mighty short words. Three and a half years. But he says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Well, what did John teach him from the beginning? What Jesus taught him. That's, that's where you go get your doctrine. That's where you go to get your understanding of what Jesus desires of us. If what you heard from the beginning, he says, abides in you, if you haven't abandoned it, you keep it, he says, 
then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Now, you don't get your promise of eternal life merely by obedience. You get your promise of the life of the age to come by obedience, keeping the Lord's commandments. That's why you want to follow a literal translation of those words. It's life age abiding or life that is age lasting. It is life for the age to come. Now, one of these rascals that <laughs> spends a lot of time, they call him the new Paul. And I wish I could get the phrase for you. But you know this guy, when it comes to life of the age to come, he nails it. He really gets it. And he translates it that way, by the way. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of N.T. Wright, but he's a very popular scholar. And he gets it right. So he says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. This is why I'm writing to you. They're trying to deceive you. But again, notice again, but the anointing. The anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. That is, you don't need any of these rascals from outside trying to teach you what the Lord taught John and his disciples. Because what John taught, uh, what Jesus taught them, John taught these people here. He says, you don't need somebody from outside coming in to teach you another doctrine. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. All of that sounds kind of wordy, but he's simply telling us if we remain, if we abide in Christ in our daily walk, if we stay faithful, then we know the Father and we know the Son. And, and, and by the way, and he goes on, um, well, we'll go on here then to verse 20, 28, because now little children, he says, abide in him so that when he appears, we may, not, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Now, that would be an awful thing. When the Lord comes, and it's too late then, and you're embarrassed because you knew what you had to do, and you just put it off and didn't do it. You knew what obedience to Christ meant, whether it's, church membership, whether it's being baptized, whether it's being faithful to your spouse, whether it's, you know, whatever the case may be. I can't, and there's thousands of things that it could be that would draw us away to make us shrink in shame at his coming. But we don't have to. Obedience will cure that in a heartbeat. Obedience to the Lord will take care of that so that when we die, we won't be embarrassed before the Lord. 
You know, and that's 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 what I'm that's what I want. That's what I want to be. That's what I'm looking forward to. Staying faithful. Don't give up. Have those steady hands of Moses all the way through to your last breath. I remember being in that room with uh, Jimmy's mother. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I get a little emotional about that whole experience. But to watch a faithful, believing Christian take their very last breath is, is just incomprehensible. I cannot tell you how you could comprehend what that does for you. And that's how I want to be. Our last verse says, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. That doesn't mean necessarily here the fact that you've experienced that first initial step of salvation. John is way beyond that. He's speaking to Christians here. And when he says you can be assured that you have been born of him, He's talking about being born in the sense of experiencing this abiding in him and knowing him. That's the whole theme of this passage here. Knowing Christ. Knowing the Father. Knowing God in all his fullness. I, I pray, my fellow Christian, that that would be your goal in life. That you would set yourself that to you know if it has to be today, today is the day I decide that I'm going to follow Christ with every ounce of my soul, every ounce ounce of my being. I remember the day I did that way back before I knew what any of this all encompassed. All I knew was I wanted to be faithful to God. I, I was not going to follow the world. I had one path in life, and, and I knew what I was choosing. And I'm praying that you will do the same, that you will make sure that you have set your course, that you are walking the path that leads to this life that John is speaking of in Christ's coming kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled by the wonderful grace that you have given us in Christ Jesus and for the simple and clear instructions of what it means to live and walk as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, how we can come to know him on a more intimate basis and how that intimate knowing will lead us to the life that you've promised us, as John tells us here, and that we will, we will have it because you said so. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Ken. And the Lord has done it again. He's selected a song for this hour. Well, before the message was ever given, even known about. 372. 372 will be our closing hymn. And maybe not just a closing hymn. I trust it'll be a prayer from your heart. This is what you desire. This is what you want. If it's not, this is what you need. <laughs> this is where you'll find a peace and contentment all the way through life. And it just won't end. 372, if you would stand with me on the first stanza, Living for Jesus. Living for Jesus, a life that is true. Striving to please Him in all that I do. Yielding allegiance, glad-hearted and free. This is the pathway of blessing for me. Oh, Jesus, Lord and Savior, I give myself to Thee. For Thou in Thine atonement hast given so much for me. I owe no other master. My heart shall be Thy throne. My life, my gift, to henceforth to live. O Christ, for Thee alone. You know, you can't live for Jesus if you haven't put your faith and trust in Him as Savior. <laughs> you need that first step. I remember when I took that first step, and what a joy it brought into my life. And I know it'll do the same for you. If you're here today, you've never trusted Christ as Savior, this is your opportunity. You can come forward, you can ask us to show you from the Word of God, or you can ask us afterwards. It makes no difference. But it does make a difference when you know Christ as Savior. On the second stanza, about living. Living for Jesus, who died in my place. That's what he's done for us. On Calvary, my sin and disgrace. Such love constrains me to answer his call. Follow his leading and give him my all. Oh, Jesus, Lord and Savior, I give myself 
to thee, for thou in thine atonement hast given thyself for me. I own no other master, my heart shall be thy throne, my life I give henceforth to live, O Christ, for thee alone. Thank you, Ken. Thank you. And... Um, just a couple of things. Number one, reminder that there's a men's meeting here. That good? Okay. After the service here. And then uh, next Sunday is um, the Christmas luncheon for our church. That's uh, an annual thing, and we all look forward to it because I know everybody brings their best and favorite dish, and I always look forward to that. Uh, I'm just telling you. I ate too much conch chowder yesterday, and I was miserable last night, <laughs> but I couldn't help myself. <laughs> it is so good. And of course, anything that reminds you of that wonderful place in Nassau is just, yeah, in the Bahamas. Well, anyway, so I guess everybody's signed up. They know what to do and bring. Do I guess we don't need to sign up. Everybody just kind of brings the same thing every year, right? So. You got a sign-up sheet? Okay, well, if we're lacking anything then, or you can see the ladies over here. But if you don't put it down and you want to bring it, bring it. Yeah, hey, just bring it anyway. Yeah, somebody will take care of it, believe me. Okay. Well, we're glad to have you here, Brother Jimmy. We prayed uh, feverishly for you last night uh, while you were going through this little episode, and we trust through this uh, stress test that you're going to have that... Uh, you'll get de-stressed and everything will be all right. So we'll continue to pray for you in that. All right, let's, uh, let's be dismissed in prayer. Father, again, we, we lift our hearts in praise and thanksgiving to the only one in heaven who loves us and cares about us the way you do. And I pray, Father, that we would look to you alone that we would set our hearts, as the hymn writer said here, we just sang it, Father, we would set our hearts upon you and give you our all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.